A School for Tomorrow acknowledges the First Nations and custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to stolen generation survivors. We recognise the intergenerational trauma that remains and our pledge to build a world that can heal through our unwavering commitment to truth-telling, through the power of story and education. A School for Tomorrow stands in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters and works for justice and true reconciliation. Our acknowledgement was drafted in consultation with Leanne Wilson, a proud Bidjara and Karakara First Nation descendant who also acknowledges her South Sea Islander heritage. Hello, it's Phil again. We've got one more conversation, sadly only one more with Benson Sallow. We've learned a lot about him so far. We've learned about skateboarding. We've learned about esports. We've learned about fatherhood. We've learned about the journey along the way. We've learned about financial inclusion. We've learned about character. We've learned about managing complexity in the world. I want to talk with Benson this time about leadership in particular and how we can educate young people to learn to live to work and to lead in their world in a manner that they thrive i'm really excited to do this let's go hey benson how are you doing today yeah really good thanks phil thanks so much for having me on again for the third time thank you it's a, it's, it's I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation as our as our listeners might know part of the aim of these conversations uh i don't really know most of the people who we talk to in these special series and part of the conversation is to get to know someone through conversation which is a very old-fashioned sort of thing to do. I want to start with two people who mean a lot to me, one of whom I never met and one of whom I know very closely now and they are Charlie Perkins and Leanne Wilson and they're two amazing Australians who combined a life of public service and a life of activism and advocacy at the same time. Charlie, of course, went to university and did all sorts of things in that respect and then went on and ended up, you know, being the first Indigenous head of a public service department uh, and a freedom rider as well too, of course. Um, and Leanne, Leanne's story is a little bit similar to yours. Leanne's a, another person who the education system failed along the way because whatever, whatever her needs were, the education system didn't quite suit at the time. So she left school without um, finishing and, and without qualification, but then she's gone on to do amazing things along the way. She's a partner in the School for Tomorrow and she helps us think through our Indigenous programs and so on. She's just working on the Queensland uh, statewide healing strategy at the moment. She's an awesome person. Really enjoyed spending a little bit of time with her earlier today on a little bit of a project we're working on at the moment. I want to pick up on that notion of being a role model because, you know, as part of our conversation that, we, that we've had, you know, we can have quite an equivocal relationship with that and it can cause pressures upon us. And yet at the same time, everybody needs a hero, don't they? How do you Absolutely. feel about the notion that you might be somebody's hero? It's, it's always an honour, um, firstly, that someone's actually thinking of you and, and, and following your journey and taking inspiration from, from, your, from your journey and, um, and the work that you do. So that, it's always really touching to hear that. And I have as well as, um, you know, in, in also kind of seeing you know, young people kind of coming through and, and you know, come through the National Indigenous Youth Leadership Academy, which I, I, I was the founding director of many years ago, that have gone on to, to do amazing things that, that they themselves are becoming role models. And I think it's it's something that our communities absolutely need because you know that that old adage around um, you can't be what you can't see, 
is is absolutely true. Um, that you know we must be able to you know see ourselves, or we want to be able to see ourselves in in spaces or in positions um, that you know that we didn't think was was possible you know for for ourselves. And you know when I first stepped into the the bank when I was fifteen, you know I didn't really see another you know, Aboriginal face on, on the main street of, of Tamworth, which is Peel Street, working in, um, in the main street. And, uh, and so there's a, an element of one being a role model for, for other people coming through, but then there's also the element of being, you know, the, you know, breaking ground as well. And, you know, particularly with, with, with Charles Perkins, Charlie Perkins, you know, this is someone I look to as one of those, as those groundbreakers, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the freedom rides, but also one of the first indigenous people to, to get a university degree as well. Um, you know, one of the founding members of ATSIC, um, you know, these are, these are huge achievements. These are groundbreaking achievements that it takes a certain type of person to be able to, to sit with that level of responsibility and, uh, and still move forward. So, so, okay. So I'm going to embarrass you now. Customer service officer, assistant manager, business analyst, 2011 Australian Youth Representative to the United Nations, director of NIALA, the National Indigenous Youth Leadership Academy. We're going to talk a bunch about that shortly. Senior consultant at PwC Indigenous Consulting, financial inclusion action plan advisor for, the, for Good Shepherd Microfinance, a board member of, of, of the Youth Affairs Council of Victoria and the treasurer too. That's, that can't have been too much fun. You're head of partnerships and investment at Australian Unity, and you're about to step into the most senior role an Indigenous person has held in Australia's uh, foreign service. How does responsibility sit with you? I find it challenging. And I actually asked my father about this idea of, um, you know, a sense of obligation. You know, we're, we're, as community, we're not only, um, you know, thinking about you know, where we're going, we're also thinking about, who's come before us and who's coming behind us as well. And so there's not only a, that sense of responsibility to, you know, doing the work and, and, and achieving and, 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 you know, being successful. There's also the sense of responsibility of creating spaces for, for the other mob to be able to come through as well. And I asked my father one time, like, do you feel a sense of obligation? And he said, no, look, I, I'd never, I don't like that term obligation. You know, the ob obligation to do do good and he said you know if if you wake up in the morning and having a positive impact on those around you forms the flesh on your bones then it just is and so the very act of being alive breathing and working and and, and being a good citizen if that creates ripples for for other people that's that's just part of life and that's that's one of the beautiful things of, of life is that you never know who it's going to impact and in, in what way. And so, so that idea of that sense of responsibility to another or for another, it, it, it's never sat well with me since that conversation with my father. And it was always, you know, if this brings you joy and it forms a pet, the, the flesh on your bones in regards to the impact that you want to see, then it just is. And I think it's a, a wonderful lesson to kind of carry. And that's that merging then of... of of you know, learning and living and leading and working all together into being that whole notion of being. That's it, and and this is I think this is a really important uh, lesson in particularly when you know working with young people is that you don't need to you know divvy yourself up 
in, in, in different parts of your life. And, and, and an example of that is, you know, I don't, I don't closet my Aboriginality when I was putting on my three piece suit and going into work. You know, this is about the, the ability to show up and bring your whole self to, to work or bring your whole self into projects. And, and the, the impact that you want to have is that, you know, your, your identity is incredibly complex, but incredibly valuable and you're valuable in the perspectives that you're able to bring based on who you are as a, as a whole person. And, and I, I find it challenging that conversation of working and living and, and, and living in, in, in two worlds. And I, I gave a talk about this a, a few years back around, this is a notion that's never sat well with me, this idea of two worlds. It's because, you know, I, I don't park my Aboriginality, I don't park my culture, you know, when I, you know, become Benson the public speaker or, or Benson the you know, consul general or whatever, um, because, you know, my foundations in, in, in faith and, and culture and, you know, my experiences, they, they all form who I am as I'm moving through the world. Uh, there's so much that you're saying there that, that sort of resonates with the experience of so many educators around the world. I mean, the, the biggest challenge in education is how do we resist the temptation to divvy up what we do into the stuff of school and to focus too much on the specific things that need to be done next and, and, and instead to sit back and look at the whole person and the whole education that is forming the whole person. It's a, it's a real challenge. And yet the, the, the reality is that those educators who can think and can act and put into practice a fundamental purpose that is about growing whole people are those who are much more satisfied with their work. And, and they tend to find that all of the challenges attendant upon being an educator, which are usually about uh, time and resource, um, you know, that they're able to make the choices to spend their time and use the resources available to do the work that really sits with their being too. And, and if I can just ex extend on, I think this is the difference between teaching to character and teaching to personality, where personality can be quite situational, whereas character it traverses kind of um, situation and, and, and context. And I think being able to teach to that, the, the importance of developing deep character in young people um, and kind of foregoing the, you know, or at least kind of defining or getting an understanding of the difference between, you know, what is personality and what is profile and presence um, as opposed to what is deep character. And I think that's an important element to be able to teach to and, and direct resource and time to. That's uh, music to my ears, music to my ears. Um, let's talk about the National Indigenous Youth Leadership Academy for a moment, because this is a really interesting thing, isn't it? So you're at Peel High School and then Somewhere along the line, there's university, and that doesn't work out. You're working at the bank, and just a short moment later, you're founding your own educational institution. Yeah, um, and, and what happened in that gap was actually born out of frustration when I was uh, the Australian youth rep to the United Nations, um, where I was seeing such a disconnect between what was happening at an international level in regards to rhetoric around young people to what was happening nationally in Australia and then what was happening at the, at the local level. And what, what we were seeing at the time, this is going back to 2012, was a, quite an absence of young Indigenous voices on issues that were impacting all young people. And, uh, and so NILA, which is National Indigenous Youth Leadership Academy, called it for short, was, was set up to be able to 
to develop or grow a cohort of young Indigenous people from across Australia to be able to give them the sense of um, purpose, tools around social action and campaigning, and a network of like-minded um, you know, brothers and sisters from across the country to be able to affect change in whichever path that they choose to go in, in their life. But the, the thing that I absolutely loved about, about Nyla and establishing that was actually when we were thinking about well, where do we want to start with young people? You know, what are we looking for? Are we looking for the, the, the academically engaged? Are we looking for the disengaged? And I kind of wanted to throw those kind of models out the window. And I said, look, regardless of, of where a young person might sit on the engaged and disengaged kind of spectrum, what I'm looking for in regards to people that are wanting to affect positive change in their life, in their community or in Australia is a curious mind. And so that was the foundation. That was the place to start. And the way that we found curious minds was not going to young people directly. It was actually going to elders. It was going to community organizations. It was going to teachers. And the question was, if you see a young person that is thinking about themselves differently in regards to, um, you know, their role of in community or, or the impact that they want to have or in the conversations that they're having, then you should tap them on the shoulder and say, Nyla might be the next step for you. And, um, and the thing that kind of came out of that was, Two, two parts. One was suddenly we were almost giving permission to, to teachers or community members to, to have an eye out for, for young people that were thinking differently. And that was, that was almost like giving a permission to say, you know what, you, you, you're of the community, have an eye out and be able to tap a young person on the shoulder. And then from a young person's perspective, there's nothing greater than having one of your elders or people that you respect tap you on the shoulder and go, I like what you're about. I think the next step in your journey might be this. And, uh, and it created a, 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 um, a relationship there, um, which we didn't initially think of, um, but it, it came really kind of um, came to life when young people were going back into their communities and wanting to affect local change is that suddenly they had a, a cheerleader with them as well. And there's, and so, there's your thinking about the relationship between family and community and the individual coming forward again too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the, again, it's, just, it's that, that, that curious mind because that, that curious mind is allowing them to kind of step back and look at the whole picture. So this is coming back to that conversation in our previous episode around, you know, the difference between complex and complex, uh, complex and complicated is one of the skills of working and dealing with complex issues is the ability to sit back and see the whole ecosystem as well. And in a, in a way, a curious mind is almost the starting point for a young person to be able to develop that skill. There's a beautiful quote, sorry, there's a beautiful um, line um, in a poem called The Dawn is at Hand by Audrey Nunakul. And the last stanza says, um, fringe dwellers no more. And, uh, and when I was thinking about that idea of um, being a curious mind and sitting just on the outside and looking back in on community and almost holding a mirror up to, to society and to communities, thinking about what should be changed, you know, the, the, the role of Nyla was to create those, those young people, to develop those young people that were fringe dwellers, but then were actually able to step back in and influence um, that were no fringe dwellers no more in regards to their divergent and, and curious mind, mindfulness and, and thinking to be able to affect positive change. And, and that's where we started. That was the, the heart and soul of Nyla was connecting like-minded individuals that all shared a sense of curiosity. It's interesting, you know, it's, it's about the, 
the chairman for a school for tomorrow is a, a wonderful guy called John Layton. He's a he's a he's a Scotsman and he's a, he's a philanthropist and he's a, a businessman and 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 just a tremendous Australian now. And he says that everybody can be learner a learner and everybody can be an educator. And he'll talk about everyone being a leader and also everyone being a follower. And and from that you know that notion that anyone can be a change maker along the way. And the programs that you were able to put in place took the potential of people and turned it into a reality. Can you tell us a little bit about how you put the programs together and how you made that initiative sort of happen? Because I know there'll be people out there listening right now who'll have an idea like yours and they'll want to know what do you do to take something that's possible but improbable and turn it into something that's real? Yeah, so we, we started developing a framework that we, we called values in action. And this is language that we're seeing a lot more recently, but it was um, in the last few years. But back in 2012, we were really kind of thinking about you know, this idea of values in action or putting your values in action. And so we, we created a bit of a, a framework which started at that point of curiosity. And then it went up into values. And particularly for, for community, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, you know, our culture is a culture that's built on values, you know, from the songs, the dances to the stories, you know, these, it's essentially a, a pedagogy for being able to teach values. There's a wonderful story in, up in the Gomoroi country, which is um, Tamworth, where I grew up, called Niti Koloi. And it's a, it's a creation story of the red-breasted robin that you could tell, you know, a two-year-old. And then as they get older, you tell them at the five, seven, you know, right to their 70, you know, right to your kind of a 70, because it's a story that unfolds um, as you get older and mature. It goes from a, um, you know, it's a creation story of, of the red-breasted robin, but then it's a story about family. It's a story about responsibility. It's a story about protection. It's a story about um, agility. And it's not only a story, it's a song and it's a dance as well. And so it's those layers of, of learning and layers of teaching that, that that's where we wanted to take that next level from a curious mind to values, which is, you know, we have individual values, but there's also universal values and there's also cultural values that are there, which then kind of move up into your principles in regards to how you put your values into action. And then that's where we kind of linked up elements around social action tools and campaigning and the role of social media that, that connecting to a higher sense of that purpose of the, the, you know, the impact that young people can achieve. And then that network of being able to rely on you know, the cheerleaders in your community and, and being able to support each other. And then that kind of grew up into, into action. And the way that we essentially went around um, kind of rolling this out, we started first doing workshops within schools. And that was a really strong focus on, on values and personal values. So that reflection piece um, and, you know, and actually having a bit of a, a roadmap by the end of the day for a young person to continue exploring their values and, and think about, well, how do they put those values into action? But we also, in the space of two years, we worked with, um, we identified 50 young people across each year. So we uh, the first cohort that we brought together at a national gathering was in 2013. And in the space of five days, we launched five national campaigns on suicide prevention, climate change, uh, constitutional recognition, which had a big focus then, mental health as well, and also creating more welcoming communities for refugees and asylum seekers. And we provided the, the tools, that sense of purpose, the network, and then essentially gave them 24 hours, or well, 48 hours, I should say, to develop and lead and to develop, create and then lead 
their own social action campaigns. And this comes back to that kind of that muscle memory of, of stepping into the unknown. And, uh, and for a young person, you know, starting that day, we teaching them the tools early on um, and, and they're learning the tools, but then by the end of the week, then they're ready to go with their campaigns. They'd already built up the tolerance to, to sit with that discomfort of failure or, or to deal with the expectation of community once they come back into their own community. So you know, it, was a, it was an amazing experience, but for a young person, they started the week feeling like they were the only person thinking differently about the world to finding 49 other young people thinking similar to them to identifying what they're passionate about and then actually having the tools to do something about it. There we go. So what, what I'm hearing here, again, this, this is the old teacher and me wanting to sort of put a process around all of this. We've got a story which acts as a narrative, which helps us to feel as though we belong. And funnily enough, it's a multimedia story. It's just a multimedia story that's got 65,000 plus years of heritage to it. And we think we're very clever these days with multimedia, but obviously it's been around for a wee bit longer than that. So we start with that. We move through a values process, which becomes the principles that you put into action. So we, we attach ourselves to a moral core that gives us a sense of purpose. And then from that, we develop a plan. And then we give kids real things to do. And it's one of the, one of the bugbears I've had for many years is that, is that we tell people that they're leaders and then we give them trivial policing tasks to do in terms of you know, tone and behavior and things like that, which are important because you know, you've, you've, you've got to be able to set a standard, but if you're going to make people leaders, then let them lead. Give them a real problem to deal with. You know, it's one of, one, of, one of our earlier game changers, Conrad Wolfram has a, has a critique of teaching mathematics because he just says, we don't, we don't get kids doing real problems. We should be getting them to do computation at an early age and attacking big problems that will get them thinking about the sort of complexity that, that, that you think about in the things that you do. How do you know when you're successful as a leader? I, I, I'm going to take that question in two ways. So one is, particularly say as the leading Nyla, how did I know we were successful in developing leaders? So yeah, that's going a, that's down a great path, practical context, yeah. Yeah, developing leaders and then also as a, as a leader. Um, I think from that, that the ability to, um, you know, when do you know you're successful in developing leaders is when a young person feels comfortable in their own skin to have, an, uh, to have a voice or feels that they can actually have a voice on something. So there's two parts. One is you know, they feel empowered and they feel valued. And I think these are very important measures of you know, what does it mean to be successful in creating the next generation of leaders is actually you're not in control of what they choose to do with that. And you should never limit any person by you know, putting, you know, putting something in expectation on them. But what we can do is, you know, let them know that they're valued, um, give them the tools, the supports in regards to network, that sense of purpose, and empower them to just go and do the doing that needs done and, uh, and trust that they'll do it. So, so if I can jump in there for a moment, that's a tremendous lesson to educators, because when we talk to educators about authentic assessment and measuring the things that really matter, like the things that you're talking about there, they'll be hesitant around it, because there's a long tradition in education of measuring stuff that isn't necessarily the most important or the most meaningful. Um, and, and, you know, having the confidence to recognize and to assess the voice agency and advocacy of, our, of students, what greater responsibility can we have and what greater fulfillment can we have other than those things there? Let's go to the second part of it, which is your own sense then of 
of, of your success as a leader? Uh, there's a wonderful quote and it was around, um, you know, be the leader that others want to follow as well. So when I think about that is having a moral compass, having a vision of where you want to be in life and also the kind of impact that you want to have, but then not doing it in isolation as well. So when I say not doing it in isolation is remaining grounded, remaining connected, um, you know, having those critical friends and critical conversations that you need to be able to have because that, that's, uh, yeah, when I think of, you know, for my own you know, journey as a leader, the, the challenge that I had when I was at 22, feeling that I'd been put up on this pedestal that had been kind of crumbling, um, was being told or put in the expectations that were being kind of lumped on me, but never actually allowing them to, for myself to have those, um, to, to make the decision myself to be, to be that leader, but then also being able to connect back into community and feel grounded in actually stepping up as a, as a leader. Um, always feeling like I was being told that I was a leader rather than actually feeling and earning and, uh, and developing as, as a leader. And so I think there's those elements. How do, you, how do you manage your doubt? I mean, it's one of the really interesting things talking to lots of game changers like yourself. Everybody who seems to be successful in changing the game um, sort of carries with them a backpack of doubt about themselves and about what they're doing. How, how do you manage it on a daily basis? Oh, it's crippling. It's, it's crippling. Um, there's, there's so many things that kind of go on in, in my mind in regards to self doubt and yeah. And, and just not, not ever really thinking that, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's a really, um, this is a very real kind of conversation of, um, of, of that doubt because you know, you, you, one that you're not good enough, like who are you to, to be in this position or hold that title or, or to, to, you know, to be noted as a leader or a role model or whatever. And, and, and that's something that kind of just is, is always in the background, just kind of bubbling away. And this is where, you know, in my, this is my personal experience, my life, like faith has always played such an important role. And, um, you know, even that, that there's a wonderful quote by Martin Luther King again, I, I always go back to him and it's like, you know, you don't always have to see the whole staircase. You just need to be able to take that first step. And so there's something, there's a, there's a part of me where it's almost like, and this comes back to that kind of the esports. We thought it would be just be fun to, to, to do, to create like the first indigenous, like all, all indigenous esports team is, is just the kind of going, well, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and, and almost sometimes just allowing yourself to be flippant in, in, in that regard and kind of just going, let's just do it. And let's just see what happens because if I overthink this, I'm going to talk myself out of it. And, uh, and, and so that self doubt is almost coupled with, all right, we, we got to do it because it's important. And then the other side is, um, you got to do it because if you don't like you, you're going to be a, you know, a balled up in the corner of your room, um, for another day <laughs> because it's yeah. just going to, you're going to let it get to you and eat away at you. And so the, then you find yourself in a position where there's no other way forward that you kind of see in your life than actually taking action or, or stepping up or showing up. Um, and I'm sorry, it's a really convoluted answer because it's, it's something that it's very real in regards to that self doubt. And I don't have an answer in my own life of how do I continually deal with self doubt because it's, it's a daily challenge. It's the wrestling again, isn't it? Yeah. It's in, it's in the wrestling. Hey, I've got one, one further question to ask you if I can. 
um, and it's about the area of philanthropy. Now, one of our early Game Changer episodes was with Jan Owen, who's, you know, you, you'll know from the Foundation for Young Australians who were keen supporters of Nyala. And, and again, her, her own education story is an interesting one as well too, because she's another one who educational institutions couldn't make it work for her. And, and yet, look, what an amazing, stunning example of commitment and public service and uh, advocacy and fearless uh, connectivity to all sorts of things um, she provides to all of us. I love the work that she does in philanthropy, and I note in your background there's there, there's an emerging philanthropy there. Why do you think it's important for leaders to give back with their volunteering rather than their paid labour? I think it's a well, it's it's just important. I think even just the term philanthropy, which is like for the love of humanity, it's such an it's an important process of actually doing things not because you're expected to, not because you're paid to do it, do it because, you know, philanthropy or having an impact just forms the flesh on your bones yeah, it, when it just becomes your, your life. In 2014, my wife and I, we went back up to our family's village in, in Pup, up in Papua New Guinea and uh, we went through custom to be able to bring my wife into, into our clan uh, kinship structure. So we could actually, when we get married, when we got married, um, it was actually recognized culturally up in Papua New Guinea as well. And what comes of that going into a clan structure or into your, your skin names. Um, so she's Mangatiri and I'm Mangamuna, which means that we're actually able to um, be married within our kinship structure. It's not so much this sense of obligation or responsibility that comes of being part of that. It's, it just is in, in the sense of, you know, we suddenly as, as, as clans people within, within our nations, within our groups up there, you know, the, the love of humanity just is the way that village life works. And so the way that we do that in our, in our life, the way that my wife and I choose to do that in our life is to be able to support two schools up there as well as the, um, the Sunday school teachers and the local um, Bible college that my father is also a lecturer at. And, um, and we, we do that not because we feel obligated to do it or we've got a, a sense of responsibility. Um, we do it because we know, you know, it's, it, you know, we wouldn't want to live any other way with knowing that, you know, our, our family goes to these schools, knowing the, the role of the church that plays up in, in, in the communities up there. When we've got a certain platform or a certain privilege, then why wouldn't we? And I think that's the, that's the element of kind of philanthropy is, um, you know, why not? <laughs> uh, look, Benson, we began our conversations in the first episode talking about family and country, and we've landed back here. And I think that's a really, really good place for us to, I mean, I could, I could sit and talk with you all week, I think, um, and maybe another time we will, but I think this is a really good place for us to, to land. I've learned so much just sitting here and having a yarn about all sorts of things. I've learned a lot about character. I've learned a lot about leadership. I've learned about wrestling with the complexities of the world. And I'm really going to enjoy seeing what happens with you and your life next. I firmly believe that all leaders are teachers inherently and all teachers are leaders. And so much of what you do teaches us so many valuable lessons. So, you know, take care with you and your young family as you as you venture forth overseas and God bless you and everything you do. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. I've really enjoyed our conversations. 
The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions. It's powered by a schoolfortomorrow.com and circle.education. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on Google. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, subscribe, like, you know what to do. Let's go.